0: Good afternoon, everyone. Of all people who have existed on the earth, Americans today have less excuse than any to complain. Blessings and opportunities abound in this country today that most people in history have not even dreamed about. There are other places on the earth today with similar blessings, but at the same time, much of the world is still locked in grinding poverty and deprivation. So, what do we have to complain about? And if we are Christians, if we know the truth, if we understand what real Christianity is all about, and the promises of God to those who are faithful, we have still less to complain about. So, should we complain? And especially, should we make a habit of complaining? This is the question I want to discuss in today's sermon. It was hardly any time after God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt until they started complaining. And they complained, and they complained, and they kept on complaining, to the point God was fed up with their complaining, and instead of taking them to the promised land, allowed that generation to die in the wilderness. This was a direct result of their complaining and their lack of faith. We read in Exodus 15, beginning with verse 22, Exodus 15, verse 22, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, this was after they had been brought out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea and delivered from the Egyptian army. And so they came through the Red Sea and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah for they were bitter Therefore the name of it was called Merah, which means bitter, and the word Merah can also mean discontented. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it in, into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the water. So after three days in the wilderness, they were complaining because they lacked water that they could drink. After 30 days in the wilderness, the flour and the dough that the Israelites had brought with them had run out. And so we read in Exodus 16, beginning with verse 1. Exodus 16, verse 1, they journeyed from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So this was, they had been gone from Egypt for a month. Then the whole congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not and it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord for he hears your complaints against the Lord but what are we that you complain against us also Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against Him, and what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So notice that their complaints were against God, and they were accusing God of having brought them out into the wilderness, to die of hunger. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, 'Come Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard, The complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So, when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one, one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So, then a short time after that, we pick up the story in Exodus 17, beginning with verse 1, Exodus 17, verse 1. Then all the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Masah, which means trial, and Meribah, which means strife because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, carnally, you might say, well, the people of Israel had a right to complain, because they were out there in, in a desert wilderness with no water, so why wouldn't they complain? And that's how my people might look at it from a carnal point of view, that's certainly how the people of Israel looked at it, uh, evidently. But, what if instead of accusing God of bringing them out into the wilderness to kill them, after he had worked miracle after miracle to deliver them, after he had delivered them from the Egyptian army, after he had given them water the first time that they thought they were going to die of thirst and given them food to eat when they were complaining about not having food even though they still had their herds and their flocks but what if they had tried this instead what if they had gone to Moses or to God and said we're thankful to God for delivering us from slavery we're thankful to God for for delivering us from being slaughtered by the Egyptian army. We're thankful to God for the other blessings He's given us, but we would like to have something to drink. Would you please mercifully grant it to us? But that's not the approach that they took. They they were blaming Moses, they were blaming God they were accusing God and Moses and they were not humble before God yes it was a trial but they were not uh, enduring their trial in a humble and meek Spirit, but rather in a spirit of contention and complaining. In the second year, three days after they left Sinai, they camped at Sinai for about a year, and three days after they left Sinai toward the land of promise, we read another incident in Numbers 11. Numbers 11, beginning with verse 1. It says now when the people complained it displeased the Lord for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So in this particular case it doesn't give us any information about what they were complaining about. Probably they were complaining all the time that that they were camped and that the, the, uh, the, all the time that, since they had left Egypt. But it displeased God the complaining that they were doing and so it says the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and when Moses prayed to the Lord the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taberah which means burning because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now remember they'd been camped at Sinai for a year and they were leaving there to go on to the land where they had were to be given their inheritance. And it would have been only a few weeks perhaps before they were in the land of Canaan they weren't satisfied with the food that God was giving them miraculously every day, they wanted meat. So it goes on in Numbers 11 and verse 18. Verse 18, Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. They had quickly forgotten they were slaves there and and their children were being murdered, and so forth. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? And Moses said to the people, Whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? The Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. Then going on in verse 31, verse 31 of numbers 11 it says now wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side all around the camp and about 2 cubits above the surface of the ground and the people stayed up all day and all night all, and all the next day and gathered the quail He who gathered least gathered ten homers and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that Kibroth Hetava, which means graves of the lustful because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. Now it says here that he who gathered the least gathered ten homers of quail. In explaining more about the specifics of this incident, Clark's commentary tells us that we may consider the quails as flying within two cubits of the ground so that the Israelites could easily take as many of them as they wished while flying within the reach of their hands or their clubs. <clears throat> the common notion is that the quails were brought round the camp and fell in multitudes as to lie thick upon the ground, but the Hebrew will not bear this version. The Vulgate has expressed the sense, and translated into English, that they flew in the air, Two cubits high above the ground. And Gil's commentary comments. There went forth a wind from the Lord. Both an east wind and a south wind. According to Psalm 78 verse 26. Either first one wind and then another. To bring the quails or whatever are meant. To a certain point and then the other to bring them to the camp of Israel or a southeast wind, as the Jewish writers interpret it. However, it was not a common wind, but what was immediately raised by the Lord for the following purpose. So this was not a completely a natural occurrence in that God specifically intervened to cause this wind to bring the quail to that particular location. And uh, goes on to comment, And brought quails from the sea, the Red Sea, from the coasts of it. Not out of the sea, but from the coast of the Red Sea. Josephus says there were great numbers of this sort of fowl around the Gulf of Arabia. And Diodorus Siculus says uh, near Kalura, uh, a place not far from those parts, Quails and flocks were brought from the sea which the people caught and lived on. Goes on to comment, the Jewish writers who understand them of quails interpret this not of their falling to the ground but of flying low two cubits from the earth about the breast of a man so that they had no trouble taking them. And then it goes on to say, from thence they lay thick on the ground, a day's journey every, every way, which some compute at 16, others at 20 miles, on which space there must have been a prodigious number of quails or locusts, as some have argued. And it is, it is certain the latter do come in great numbers so as to darken the air and to cover a country as they did Egypt. And the quails also in con- some countries have been taken in great numbers. In Italy on the coast of Antium, within a month in the space of five miles, 100,000 quails were taken every day. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia explains of this quail, a quail and partridges are near relatives, the partridge a little, a little larger and brighter color, Quail are like the gray, brown, and tan of the earth. Their plumage is cut and penciled by markings, and their flesh juicy and delicate food. Their habits are very similar. They nest on the ground and brood on from 12 to 20 eggs. The quail are more friendly birds and live in the open, brooding along roads and around fields. They have a longer, fuller wing than the partridge and can make stronger flight. In Palestine, they were migratory, They're first mentioned in Exodus 16, verse 13, which we read earlier when God sent quail just before sending the manna the evening before that. Goes on to say that this describes a large flock in migration so that they passed as a cloud. And goes on to quote the scripture, and then it quotes. Psalm 78, beginning with verse 26, which mentions this incident, says, He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens. By His power He guided the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and winged birds as the sand of the seas, and let it fall in the midst of the camp, round their habitations. And they did eat, and were well filled, and He gave them their own desire. Now, Going on with the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, it says that these quail were flocking at that time and migrating from Africa to Europe. They were birds of the earth, heavy feeders, and of plump, full body. Migration was such an effort that when forced across a large body of water, they always waited till the wind blew in the direction of their course, lest they tire and fall. They yet multiplied in such numbers as easily to form clouds in migration. Pliny writes of their coming into Italy in such numbers and so exhausted with their long flight that if they sighted a sailing vessel, they settled upon it by hundreds in such numbers as to sink it. Taking into consideration the diminutive vessels of that age and the myriads of birds, this does not appear incredible. Now compare these facts with the text. The Israelites were encamped on the Sinai Peninsula. The birds were in migration. The quail followed the Red Sea until it reached the point of the peninsula where they selected the narrowest place. And when the wind was with them, they crossed the water. Not far from the shore rose the smoke from the campfires of the Israelites. And this bewildered them and weary from their journey they began to settle in confused thousands over and around the camp. And so there were massive numbers of quail, if that's what they were, and that seems to be the more accepted opinion of uh, the creature that was given to the Israelites at that time. But how much is a, a homer? One source says, my pocket reference guide says a homer is 220 liters, or about 58 gallons. So he that gathered least gathered 580 gallons of little birds. 18 garbage cans full, that's about 3 cubic yards of birds, or enough to fill the bed of a full-size pickup to overflowing, mounted high with, a little, with a little dead birdie bodies. Other sources give different estimates for the quantity of an, of an homer. Uh, one source is 88 gallons, another 64 gallons, and another 48 gallons. But in any case, the quantity of meat gathered in this incident was enormous. Later, when the Israelites came to Kadesh Barnea at the southern border of Canaan as they were approaching Canaan and preparing to send the spies into Canaan to spy out the land. We read Deuteronomy 1 and verse 19. Deuteronomy 1 verse 19. So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, You have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, and do not fear or be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us, and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. The plan pleased me well, so I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed, and went up into the mountains, came to the valley of Eshkal, and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought back word to us saying, It is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents, and said, Because the Lord hates us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, He will fight for you according to all He did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries His Son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and the cloud by day. So here were daily reminders of God, God's presence with them. He was feeding them with manna every morning. Every day they were led by a cloud. At night, by fire. Indicating the presence of God. God had delivered them time after time in their trek through the wilderness. And they were still accusing God of hating them and wanting to kill them. He goes on, verse thirty four to say, The Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, He shall see it to him and his children. I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. So we can see from these examples the complaining attitude of the Israelites who through their trials lacked faith who accused and blamed God in their complaining at every, at every turn with every a situation which called for faith which presented a trial instead of appreciating God and looking to Him in faith, they complained and accused God of wanting to destroy them. Now we are warned as Christians that this is an example that we are not to follow. That we are not to follow. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1 it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the clouded in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. In other words, examples for us to learn from. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There are many scriptures that warn us against a complaining spirit. One of them is Philippians 2 and verse 12. Philippians 2 beginning with verse 12 where it says, Therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do all things, this is verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things without complaining and disputing, so that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. In Colossians 3, begin with verse 12, Colossians 3, beginning verse, with verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Note that he includes long-suffering here. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. So note that one of the things that we're to be careful about is complaining against one another. It says if anyone we are to bear with one another, forgive one another. If anybody has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must you do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule. In your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. So we're called here upon here to exercise long suffering, to bear with and forgive one another, and to love one another, to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, and to be thankful. None of these things is really compatible with a complaining attitude and spirit. In Jude fourteen, Jude chapter one, verse fourteen, says Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Complaining commonly stirs up dissension and strife. That's one of the fruits of complaining, a complaining attitude and spirit where a person is constantly. Complaining it tends to stir up this dissension and strife. And the Bible has a great deal to say about strife, one of the fruits of that complaining spirit. In Proverbs 10 and verse 12, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And as we've already seen, we have a duty to love one another to love other people we might ask is love found in a stream of complaints that tend toward negative feelings and tend to stir up strife complaining is often accompanied by anger in proverbs 15 verse 18 proverbs 15 verse 18 it says a wrathful man stirs up strife but he who is slow to anger allays contention And in Proverbs 29, verse 22, Proverbs 29, verse 22, it says, An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. So if we're going around angry and complaining all the time, or much of the time, then we're going to fall into sin. And we will find ourselves in contention with other people. Complaining often consists of accusations as the Israelites accused Moses and even God of evil intentions. And these accusations were false. Now sometimes, of course, accusations are deserved but often they may be undeserved undeserved, and certainly that was the case with God And Moses in the wilderness. But we're told in Proverbs 16 verse 27. Proverbs 16 verse 27. An ungodly man digs up evil. And it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife. And a whisperer separates the best of friends. A whisperer, someone who spreads gossip and rumors and accusations. Often false. Proverbs 17 verse 14. Proverbs 17 verse 14 says, The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore stop contention before a quarrel starts. What this is saying is that it's comparing the beginning of strife with the opening of a dam that produces a torrent of water and in the same manner strife, complaining, accusing produces dissension and conflict we may find if we have a habit of complaining we all I'm sure we all are guilty of this at one time or another but we may find that if we stop complaining, we may live more peaceably. In fact, it's almost a given that we will live more peaceably with those around us. In Proverbs 20 and verse 3. Proverbs 20 and verse 3 it says, It is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. One way to stop striving is to stop complaining. In Proverbs 26 and verse 21 Proverbs 26 and verse 21 it says as charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire so is a contentious man to kindle strife. So being contentious, complaining kindle strife just as burning coals if you lay a piece of few pieces of wood on burning coals, it will it will kindle the fire. In Romans thirteen verse thirteen. Romans thirteen verse thirteen it says, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Not in strife and envy. But could put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We're told in Galatians 5 verse 22 that joy, peace, long-suffering are fruits of the Spirit. But strife and contention as manifestations of a complaining spirit are works of the flesh. As it says in Galatians 5 verse 20, Speaking of the works of the flesh, it says these include idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Now the word contentions as it's translated here in the New King James Version is the Greek word eras which means strife or contention. And the Greek word translated selfish selfish ambitions here which is translated strife in the King James version is the Greek word erethei, which means contention or contentiousness or strife so there are actually two separate words in these this list of the works of the flesh and this one verse which relate to complaining as a source of strife. In Lamentations 3 and verse 39 book of Lamentations is, a, is just that it's a lamentation about the disaster that occurred to the people of Judah Because of their sins, when they were taken into captivity, their nation was was under the heel of conquerors. But it says in Lamentations three and verse thirty nine, "Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins?" Let us search out and examine our ways, and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. So, if we think we've got something to complain about, then this would be a good formula for how we ought to handle the situation. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord and let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven to seek God's intervention, to seek God's help. In a proper manner, in a in a in a in a, in a uh, spirit of humility and meekness, rather than, than a spirit of accusing and complaining. We're told that when God's kingdom is established on the earth, complaining will be replaced by understanding. In Isaiah twenty nine verse twenty four, <clears throat> Isaiah tw- twenty nine verse twenty four it says, "The these also who erred in spirit." will come to understanding, and those who complained will learn doctrine. We might ask at this juncture exactly what are we talking about when we're talking about complaining. Complaining could be defined as an expression of unhappiness, dissatisfaction, or discontent. Complaining is a symptom of discontent often a self-centered discontent, and may be and often is a symptom of a lack of faith. An attitude of griping, grumbling, complaining usually doesn't do much to make the situation better, but will tend instead to amplify frustration and unhappiness, spread discontent and strife, blunt faith, and invite rebellion. The complaining spirit is like an open spiritual sore and gives satan an opening to make it, make it to to make it fester and grow poisoning the complainer as well as others affected by the complaints so how do we overcome a complaining attitude how do we overcome if we have fallen into the habit of of frequent complaining. First of all, perhaps the best antidote to a complaining attitude is to develop positive faith. If you have a genuine and strong faith in God, you're not going to be constantly complaining about situations and circumstances you perceive as less than desirable. Rather, you'll be trusting God to work things out, and you'll be doing your part to make the circumstances better if that's possible. And you'll be thankful to God for all the good things that that you've been given despite the things you're dissatisfied with. In Romans Romans 8 verse 28, we read, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So we're told here that everything that we face in life works together for good to those who love God. Now that may not be obvious as we view things from a human standpoint, but that is how God views it. Even our trials have a purpose, as we will see or discuss a little bit more later. But it goes on to say in verse 31 of Romans 8, verse 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he then who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution. Or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. So we need to work on developing faith. We need to understand believe that God has our best interest at heart and that he will do everything necessary for us to be finally established in his kingdom when it's all said and done. A second thing that we can do to help us overcome a complaining attitude is to consider its effects to stop and think and to really consider what it is we're doing and what what its effect is on us and on others. A complaining spirit inhibits a functional fruitful ability to engage in positive relationships and work with others. It makes it difficult, if not impossible, to enjoy the right kind of relationships, either with God or with other people. If you catch yourself complaining, think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. And ask yourself, is what you're complaining about really all that serious? Often we find ourselves complaining about things that are petty and that are of little consequence. Think about how your complaining is affecting you. Is it adding joy to your life? Is your life more pleasant because of your complaining? How does your complaining affect others? Think about it. Do you enjoy being in the company of or being around other people who are constantly complaining about something? Is your complaining actually likely to solve anything? Or will it simply make matters worse for yourself and others? Remember the example of Israel and how their complaining affected their relationship with God in their own lives. Now, a third thing that can be done to help us overcome a complaining attitude is to replace negative thinking with positive thinking. Because a complaining spirit is reflective of negative thinking. Instead of thinking about what you dislike, or what you're displeased with, think about what you have to be thankful for. And accept the fact that life will have trials and tribulations. That's, that's how life is in this world. A part of life, a part of living our lives as fleshly human beings is having trials and tribulations. But through faith we can maintain a positive outlook in spite of trials and tribulations. The Israelites, it wasn't easy going through the wilderness, through a desert, and sometimes not having enough water handy. Sometimes being without as much food or the kind of food that one might prefer. It wasn't necessarily easy to do that. But they didn't handle their problems well. They didn't handle their trials in a positive way. And so it made the trials much worse than they would have been otherwise. Again, remember that even trials in this life have a positive purpose as far as God is concerned. As we read in Romans 5 beginning with verse 1, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations or trials knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, or as it translates this word in the King James Version, it produces patience. And perseverance, or patience, produces character and character hope. So, the trials can help us to build character. In fact, One might argue that without any trials, one, it would be virtually impossible to build any character to speak of. There's a reason that we have trials. And if we handle our trials in the proper way, it helps us to build faith, helps us to build patience, it helps us to develop character and to have greater hope for the future. We need to express gratitude and thanksgiving to God, and learn to take our concerns to God in prayer. We have concerns; that's another given. But we need to learn to take our concerns to God in prayer, with thanksgiving. We read in Psalm fifty, Psalm fifty, beginning of verse fourteen: "Offer to God thanksgiving." And pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. So we need to go to God in thanksgiving. And call upon God. When we're in trouble. And we'll be delivered. Maybe not immediately. Maybe not even in this lifetime. Depending on the circumstances. But we will be delivered. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice it says rejoice always. It says in everything, give thanks. Philippians 4 and verse 4. Philippians 4 and verse 4. It says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice. Now, how can you rejoice and complain at the same time? Can you do that? (laughs) Philippians 4 and verse 8. Philippians 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things things are of good report if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy meditate on these things the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me these do and the God of peace will be with you and Paul wrote in Philippians 4 and verse 11 Philippians 4 and verse 11 I have learned in whatever state I am to be content can we say that can we say that We've learned to be content with whatever state we find ourselves in. I'm not saying this is easy to do. It's not easy. But this is what we're instructed to do by God's Word. It's certainly okay to let your wishes be known as we've seen in a proper and balanced way. As it says in Philippians 4 and verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but... in." in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ so when we go to God in prayer we need to go to God with thanksgiving and pray in humility about our needs and requests and desires, keeping in mind God's purpose and His standards. But an addiction to complaining must be avoided or repented of if one is to please God and lead to a more joyful, satisfying, and fulfilling life and to enable us to be a light to others as God intends.